All right, Book of Jude. I know it's been a couple of weeks. Book of Jude, for anyone listening online, if there's an issue with the volume, let me know today. Once we set everything back up, the volume's been acting different. So it was too loud, so I had to reduce it a little bit. If it's still too loud, let me know. If it's not loud enough, let me know, and uh, we will change it in the next hour. So anyone listening live, let me know so that we can make adjustments to either make it louder or quieter. All right, Book of Jude. Everybody ready? I hope so. Okay. We'll start with something simple, right? Something simple that everyone's going to remember. Okay. Maybe. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to have a positive attitude. Everyone's going to remember, okay? All right. Everybody, I'm giving everyone a chance to start thinking Jude. Jude. Do I even remember Jude? What, what is Jude about? Okay. Let's start with the hermeneutical key. What verse contains the hermeneutical key to the book? And what is that hermeneutical key? Verse 3. Thank you, Twyla. Thank you. Okay, Lydia. Okay, well, Lydia doesn't speak up, so it doesn't count. Okay, all right. Got to be loud. Okay, all right. Verse 3. And what is that hermeneutical key? There we go. The book was written to motivate people who are spiritually secure to contend for the faith. How do we know these people are spiritually secure that he's writing to? Because they are, they are described in three ways. Sanctified, preserved, and called. All right, so they're spiritually secure. So the people he's writing to are spiritually secure. And verse 3 tells us what he's writing to accomplish. What is he writing to get them to do? To get them to contend for the faith. This is typically preached in what way? Okay, it's typically preached and almost we forget the contending. They mention the contending for like five seconds. And then when you start listening to the rest of their sermons, it turns into, hey, don't be like the false teachers or you're going to be judged. Don't follow them or you're going to be judged. Don't follow them or you're going to be judged. And that literally the book tells you what it was written to do. To get them to contend, not to warn them about being judged. So all of the discussion about judgment is there for what purpose? To get them to contend. Not because they're going to be judged, but because the others are going to be judged. So he's trying to motivate them to contend so that those who are going to be judged could be plucked from the fire and possibly be changed from their false way of understanding to a correct way of understanding. The, The handling of this book is absolutely bizarre to me. And the things people do with this book is absolutely bizarre. We, when I reviewed the sermon that was preached in Fort Worth, Texas, where the pastor talked about uh, taking homosexuals, lining them up against the wall and shooting them in the back of the head, um, when I, he, part of the reason he preached that sermon that way was a misinterpretation of the book of Jude. And I'm like, what is he doing with the book of Jude? It's insane how people can just get so... I don't know, confused. So uh, to try to avoid that confusion, we've been trying to work through this and hopefully try to establish some distinctions here that I think are very important. So that's a hermeneutical key. Now, remember, there is much dispute. We talked about this way back at the beginning 
There's lots of disputes and how to outline the book, and I'm not going to go through all of those disputes, all right? But I want to make sure that I at least remind you of this, of separate concepts and purposes. And there are two concepts that are separate. The first concept is the concept of remembrance, and the other concept is that of a description. Those are separate concepts because they have separate purposes. First, to remind someone or to add a remembrance is to bring to one's mind an awareness of someone or something that one has seen, known, or experienced in the past. To remind someone you're doing what? You're reminding them of something that has happened where? In the past. You're reminding them of the past. All right? A description you're doing what? It is a spoken or written representation or an account of a, of a person or event. In this particular case, the reminders are things of the past and the descriptors of things of people in the present. They have different, completely different concepts. Now, what is the purpose of each concept? What's the purpose of the reminder? The reminders are designed to look to the past to motivate the people he's writing to to act where? In the present. And look at verse 5. After, what does he do in verse 4? Everybody look at verse 4. Okay, verse 3, he gives, that's the hermeneutical key. I'm writing to you to get you to contend for the faith. Why do they need to contend for the faith? Because men have crept into the church unawares who've turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And then look at the very first words of verse 5. I will therefore, I will therefore, because of this situation, he's going to do what? Put them in remembrance. So the reminder is designed to look at the past to motivate action in the present. What's the action he's trying to motivate? To contend. So the reminder is to motivate action of contending where? In the present. So something in the past to motivate action in the present. That's the reminder. Now, what's the purpose of the descriptions? What would be the purpose of the description? Well, you have to describe the people you want them to contend with, correct? Right? The purpose of a description is identification. The purpose of the reminder is motivation. The purpose of the reminder is is to look to the past to motivate action in the present. The purpose of the description is to identify people in the present. Looking to the past, that's great. Okay, okay. And what's the main focus so far in all the reminders? Judgment, 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 right? The reminder is God judges in the past and he will judge in the future. So you need to be motivated to contend because these people are going to be judged. That's the reason. So he's giving them these extreme examples of of judgment, right? What was the first reminder? Right? Israel. Was there a whole lot of death and judgment involved with Israel? Yeah. Entire generation died off, yes? Okay. What was the next one? Angels. Well, they're locked in chains. 
until the day of judgment. There's something serious happened to them. They're angels, and next thing you know, they're locked up. Third? Okay, I think that ended pretty bad. Would you agree? All right? So, these are examples of extreme judgment, trying to warn them, okay? So, that is what we've looked at. So, we've, we've kind of, uh, well, I, I will say I, I won't say we, I decided to work it this way. This is important. That there are, we have kind of the greeting, right? We kind of have the purpose. And then we are given what I think are the reminders. And I broke the reminders down this way. Verse 5. Okay, what's the reminder there of 5? Israel and Egypt. 6. Angel. 7. 9. Michael. I'm going to skip the next one. Verse 14 through 15. Enoch, everybody see it? And verse 17, words of the apostles, all right? Those are all reminders of specific things, all right? Some of those reminders are very much focused on judgment. Now, I'm not going to go list all of the descriptions, but the descriptions show up relatively quick. You can see where it starts describing the people. Now, today, last week, or well, no, not, last week we took a kind of a do-over. The week before, we had gotten to verse 9, Right? And if you'll look at verse 8, it says, These filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now he goes from the past and comes back to the present and says, I'm pointing to these specific people. Now in verse 9, we talked about Michael the archangel. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring about uh, against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. What is significant about verse 9? What is significant about verse 9? It's a reminder, yes. Okay, it's, this is in a sense explaining how to contend, right? Or how not to contend, okay? So we talked a little bit about that. We won't go back through everything there. I, I think it was an important lesson, but I'm not going to spend any time. Now, here's where things get weird in the next verse. And this is where it causes problems with so much of of outlining and so much confusion, all right? Because when you try to figure this out, you can, you can draw, think of it this way, you can try to have these two very separate parallel paths that make sense, and you keep them distinct because by confusing it, people can do some really weird things in their preaching. But there are times where you have the reminder and the description, like they seem very separate, parallel paths, and then all of a sudden, they come running like they give each other a high five and then they go back and separate again. And this one, they kind of run together and give each other a high five. But we're going, even though they run together and give each other a high five, we're going to keep them distinct because each thing are separate concepts with separate purposes, right? So in this case, the two may merge a little bit. So we're going to use this one in probably both categories, all right? Which is perfectly okay because the goal of, of outlining is simply to see it. It's not to interpret it. It's just to see it. So by keeping things distinct, it's, I can avoid many interpretive errors that I've heard in a lot of the sermons. We, well, I've reviewed a number of them on Uh, on the podcast. So, what do we have in verse 11? Just just an observation. Just don't interpret. Just an observation. What do we have in verse 11? We have three individuals named. Would we all agree three individuals are named? Who are those three individuals? Cain, Balaam, and Kor. All right? Okay? Three individuals are named. All right? Now, what do we know about these three individuals? 
They're individuals who lived when? Okay, there's the reminder part, right? There's the reminder, okay? However, there is some connection with the people in the present, but right now, what, all we need to do is just, what, what is the reminder? What do we can learn about these three people, all right? So, here's what I want you to do, okay? On, on, if, you, if you want to, on a piece of paper, just draw a kind of a line down the middle. On one side, write the names, right? Three names. What are they? Cain, Balaam, and Kor or Korah, depending on your translation, right? Everybody have that? Okay, now, in the text itself, it connects these three individuals with three, can we call them descriptors? I don't know what we want to call them. They connect them with three concepts, right? With Cain, we are told that the, it's something about Cain. The way. Of Cain. So you want to write down on the other side of the paper, the way. Everybody see that? The second one is the error of Balaam. We have the way, we have the error, and then third, the gainsaying in the King James of Kor. The way, the error, and the gainsaying. It wants us to be, on one hand, he's, once again, he's going to the past, right? Remember, way back at the beginning there, he says, therefore, I'm going to put you in remembrance. And over and over and over, he keeps looking to the past, looking to the past, looking to the past. Now here, he's going to do something. We've got to learn about each, all three of these individuals. But here, now this is where I have to be careful, all right? Because it's very easy to look at three individuals and then do what? Well, let's just forget Jude and then we'll go back and do a verse-by-verse study of Cain, a verse-by-verse study of Balaam, and a verse-by-verse study of Korah. It would be easy to do that. And I'm not saying it would be necessarily wrong, but what would happen? By the time it would, we would forget the actual purpose that Jude is using them for. He's not trying to use them so that we can have a verse-by-verse exposition of these individuals. Why is he grabbing these three names? Well, I think, he's gra- I think all of the examples he grabs, he's under the impression that everyone in the church, what? Know them. Now, he could be wrong, because a lot of the time I think you guys know something and then you don't, right? But, but in his mind, he thinks, well, these are obvious. Everyone's going to, as soon as I say the way of Cain, everybody's going to be like, boom, I know the way of Cain. As soon as he says the error of Balaam, I know the error of Balaam. And if you say the gainsaying of Korah, everybody will be like, oh, I know that. The key is that everyone will immediately respond with, I know that. The problem is, it's 2022. We had this thing called the Protestant Reformation. Problem number one, as I don't think anyone agrees actually what the way of Cain is. Shocker, right? Number two, if we read the actual story of Balaam, we come away more confused. So we almost have to avoid the actual Old Testament account of Balaam. And we have to just read New Testament mentions of Balaam. Because the actual story of Balaam is so confusing. All right? It is so confusing. I did a number of podcast episodes about it. Because I'm just still, to this day, whenever I read that story, I'm like, it makes absolutely no sense. 
It's like, hey, don't go with those guys. Hey, go with those guys. Hey, why did you go with those guys? I'm going to kill you. I'm like, wait, what? You just told me to go. Like, the story is so weird. Like, Balaam, go. No, Balaam, don't go. No, Balaam, go. Balaam, why did you go? And it's like, uh, I don't understand this in any way, shape, or form. It's very confusing, all right? So what we've got to try to figure out, not all of the, like, everything in Numbers 22 and following about Balaam because it doesn't make any sense. What we have to do is just figure out, what does Jude want us to remember about these three individuals? And he wants us to know the way of Cain, the heir of Balaam, and the gainsaying of Korah. Now, what his purpose in that, will have, well, we know part of his purpose is he's reminding us. So because these reminders are to motivate them to contend. Here, this one has, it has a descriptive purpose and a reminding purpose, but we're going to keep them separate right now. We're just going to focus on it. So what are we going to work on first? The way of Cain. All right. Everybody knows where the story of Cain is found, correct? Okay. You, if you would like, I'm just going to give you just a couple of seconds here, but you can start thinking. You can talk amongst yourselves. You can call a friend, you can ask Siri, you can ask Alexa, you can do whatever you need to do. You can ask Google, I don't care who you ask. I want you to start thinking of how you would describe the way of Cain. If I put you on the spot, if we start looking at commentaries, oh, it's going to get very interesting. In fact, I have a bunch of them, oh, right here, right? I have a whole bunch of them here. Right here, all right? In a minute, we're going to look at all. So just start thinking about it. And you can just briefly, it's just, just, you can just, I mean, everybody here knows the story of Cain. Everybody here knows the story of Cain. So just, I want you without, without trying too hard, just the first thing, if I say, hey, listen, listen, be careful about the way of Cain. If I, was, if I was to immediately stop you and say, okay, you got five seconds, write down what the way of Cain is. Just, if you want to write it down, what would you write down? Like, no, you have no time to look anything up, no time to look at a commentary. You just got to write down, what is the way of Cain? What would you write down? Now go ahead and write it down. And if you get it wrong, you say, well, you didn't give me time. See, I'm giving you a built-in excuse. What is the way of Cain? What is the way of Cain? All right, anybody, what what did you write down? What did you write down? Come on, it's okay. Don't be embarrassed. All right, so what would you, so you, you would say the way of Cain is a whiny response dealing with rebuke? Okay, all right. So we have, Possibility number one, that the way of Cain is, and I I won't just use those words, but it is an inappropriate response to a rebuke from God. All right? That's, that's, is that, is that, is that a a good way of saying it? Okay. It's perfectly fine. All right. Okay. All right, so that's number one. So the first possibility, the way of Cain, is, is not responding correctly to a rebuke from God or, or a rebuke from God's word or however you would like to write it. Okay, that's possibility. Number two. 
All right. The way of Cain is murder. Okay, murder. Is that, is that fair? Okay, murder. Okay, that, that's a pretty big part of the story. Okay, all right. Number three. You've got a third one. We have a third one? Uh, everyone else just said, I refuse to write anything down. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Jealousy or envy. Okay. All right. All right. So the way of Cain is that of envy. So we got the way of murder, the way of envy, or the way of not handling rebuke correctly. All right. We got three going down. We got a, we got a fourth. We got a fourth. Come on. Going once. Going twice. Come on. See, this is where I wish. This is what the difference between being a pastor and being a teacher in a school and being a teacher in a school, the students have no choice. Yeah, <laughs> right. A pastor, everybody's just like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so we're going to say, well, did he not obey God's word? Right. Well, this gets into the never-ending debate on how to interpret the story, but okay, all right. But, all right, so possibly wrong worship? Is, are you willing to go with that one? All right, all right Stephen, Stephen's going to, he's hedging his bets. He's going to put as many down as possible, okay? Right. Right. He's like, one of these are going to be right. One of these is going to be right, okay? Anybody else? Way of Cain. I mean, we've all had to read Jude. You had to draw some conclusion when you read it, but what's the way of Cain? Okay, maybe rebellion? Okay, all right, possibly. Now, the first question we could have as a good Bible student, when we say the way of Cain, do we reduce it to one thing? That's a, that would be a good question, right? Okay. Do, or do we, do, do, we do we lump everything in together? Again, what's troubling is what does Jude not do? It doesn't explain it. He just says what? Read the verse 11, the very first part of it. Woe unto them. They have gone to the way of Cain. So he's going to give these reminders. Now, this is where the reminders and the scriptures come together for a brief second. All right. But he, he says, whoa. In other words, this is a bad thing. Now, first, let's just read this in a number of translations and see if everyone uses the same language here, just from a translation standpoint. Let's not even get into commentaries. Are you ready? NIV. How does the NIV have it? Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. New living. What, what sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Wow, the New Living Translation just basically tells us what they think the way of Cain is. Isn't that crazy that the New Living Translation has it that way? <laughs> They're just really just like, hey, we're, we're going to tell you what we think the way of Cain is, right? He killed his brother. So they're going after the idea of murder almost here, okay? How about the ESV? Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. Berean Study Bible. Woe to them that have traveled in the path of Cain. Brian literal Bible. Woe to them that have gone in the way of Cain. King James, woe unto them that have gone the way. New King James, woe to them for they have gone in the way. New American, woe to them for they have gone the way. New American Standard 1995, 
Woe to them that have gone the way. So the rest of them pretty much go, oh wait, the Amplified does this. Let's see if this helps. Woe to them, they have gone the defiant way. They describe the way as defiance. He's defiant. Okay, well, I mean, the other one added an entire phrase, okay? <laughs> the other one entire, added an entire phrase, all right? Now, there may, be, there may be some textual variance or textual reason for doing so, but most of the translations simply describe it as the way. Agreed? All right, so let's just see what some commentaries do. Everybody ready? Let's go to this one. Are you ready? Cain rebelled against God's way of salvation. They connect the way of Cain as a rebellion to God's way of salvation. So in other words, Cain wanted his way, which was opposed to God's way of salvation. So they would see this as an attack upon the way to salvation. All right, that, that sounds good. Now, we've got to, uh, all, everybody, nobody here went with that, right? Y'all went with murder, rebellion, okay? okay. This one, this one is a, a common one, all right? Let, let's see how they try to uh, express it. All right, are you ready? Cain rebelled against God's way of salvation. They say Genesis 4, we know the story of Genesis 4, right? What's the basic story of Cain? It was time for sacrifice or offering, we should say. Abel brings one. Cain brings another. There's all kinds of debates all day, every day about why was Cain's not accepted and why was Abel. The going theory is that Cain brought, or Abel brought what? An animal. And Cain brought off something that he had grown. Now, so some people say, see, that Cain was wrong. Now, you could argue that Abel seemed to be the one who kept the animals and Cain seemed to be the one who grew the crops. So they were bringing what they had. All right. And some people, but, but animal was required. Uh, really? In Genesis 4, you, you've established that from what? Oh, you said, well, go to Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus hadn't been written yet. Remember, that's how, how we interpret Genesis is the never ending problem and how to interpret Genesis because we always sometimes try to judge the people in Genesis based off laws that had yet been written. And then sometimes we excuse the behavior, right? Yeah, we have to impose that. But then there's other times we back off and don't do that, right? Wait, how did, how did we go from Adam and Eve, Eve to all kinds of people? Well, obviously Adam and Eve had children and they had to marry... They're siblings. And we say, but there was no prohibition against it. And so then we excuse it. And then someone else does something. And we're like, wait a minute, that was wrong. And you're like, where was the prohibition? Again, it's re- we play, and I, I hate that game, but people play that game all day with Genesis. On one hand, no, no prohibition against it. And then in the next minute, you're like, well, no, what? Now, if God condemns the behavior in Genesis, well, then it's condemned. But in some cases, what does God not do in Genesis? doesn't seem to condemn the behavior. So then what we want to then preach it as what? 
that they committed a sin based off what? And us imposing a law that had yet been delivered, and it's a never-ending nightmare in trying to interpret Genesis. It just, it really is. It, it's never-ending. So, but, so they bring two offerings. What happens? God accepts one, rejects the other. However, God warns Cain and seems to give Cain the opportunity to do what? To fix the situation, repent. And Cain does not obviously do so. Agreed? Now, this is where they go to try to prove their point. And this is where in, uh, man, what class was it? Oh, it's my Genesis class. Probably my Genesis class at Grace University in Omaha. Man, the debates on this, whoo. Man, it was, everyone disagreed on this whole how to approach this, okay? And the, and the teacher, all he did was just throw out every, he just, he just stirred the pot. He just wanted the argument. I, think, I don't think he cared what the right answer was. He just wanted everyone in the class arguing because I think he just thought it was funny, all right? But here we go. Everyone had strong opinions. Where does everyone run to to try to prove their theory about Cain? Not Genesis. They go to 1 John. 1 John. Everybody knew that, right? All right, here we go. 1 John chapter 3. All right, let's see how far we can get. We still got a little bit of time. Everybody ready? 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Now, do you have the Blue Letter Bible app? Look up the word slew. That's used, I think it's used twice in verse 12. Is it used twice? Look them up. First, see if they're both the same Greek word. 312. Is it 12, right? Okay, yep. Look it up. First, determine if they're both the same Greek word. And if they're both the same Greek word, give me uh, some kind of indicator. All right, so we both have the same Greek word. Okay, now look at the Greek word. Okay, everybody see it? What's the Strong's definition of it? To butcher? Ah, ding, 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 ding. This is where everyone goes to. All right. Yes, but it can be used to refer to the slaughtering of an animal for sacrifice. Now, it can be used for other things, but as soon as you hear that, this is how people tell the story. All right. So this is how, because it preaches good, man. This preaches good. All right. So Abel offers a sacrifice or an offering, I should say. And God's like, nope, not acceptable. I need the right kind of offering. And then Cain's like, oh, I know what you need. You need a blood sacrifice. Well, let me give you a blood sacrifice. And he kills his brother. So in a roundabout way, Cain has killed his brother as a sacrifice 
literally almost spitting in the face of God. You want blood? I'll give you blood. You want death? I'll give you death. You want a butchered sacrifice? I'll give you a butchered sacrifice. It's not going to be an animal. It's going to be my brother. So that would be literally denying the entire system the way it would be implied that God had set it up. And they would argue that they should have known it should be an animal sacrifice. This is the argument based off what? How does, what is the argument everyone uses that Cain and Abel should have known what kind of sacrifice was required? Because he clothed Adam and Eve in animal skins, which would require the death of an animal, and that from that point on, the establishment of animal sacrifice was at least imp- implied in the text, even if it wasn't explicit. And then here, Abel offering an animal sacrifice means he got the idea from somewhere. Why did Cain do the opposite? Some people say he can't be condemned for this, but First John, by using that Greek word, it seems to be like, well... It can be, now, to be fair, it can be used for other things as well. That's always one of the difficulties. You always have to be careful because sometimes a Greek word can have four meanings. And guess what you have a tendency to do? Choose the meaning that fits your narrative. And that's always a dangerous thing. But that that would be at least an argument for going this direction, would it not? Let's see what they do with this. So what is their argument? The way of Cain is what? Rebellion against God's way of salvation. Right Now, this is what they say. By clothing Adam and Eve with skins of slain animals, God made it clear that the only way of forgiveness is through the shedding of blood. That is the way of faith, not the way of good works. But Cain rejected this divinely authorized way and came to the altar with the fruits of his own labor. God rejected Cain's offering because God rejected Cain. His heart was not right before God. It was by faith that Abel's sacrifice was offered. And that was why God accepted it. Well, there's a way we could, there's a lot of ways we could go here. But they say the way of Cain is the way of religion without faith. Righteousness based on character and good works. The way of Cain is the way of pride. Now, they're, now they keep adding all kinds of new ways, but okay. All right. A man establishing his own righteousness and rejecting the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ. Cain became a fugitive and tried to overcome his wretchedness by building a city and developing a civilization. He ended up with every, everything a man could desire except God. So their argument is the way of Cain is what? It's rejecting the way of salvation to establish a way of salvation based on one's own righteousness and one's own works apart from faith. There's no question Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he offered it by faith. Cain offered it out of, I have to do it, but there was no true faith involved and he was establishing his own way. And the, and the height of establishing his own way is like, oh, you want a sacrifice? Let me give you one. And he goes completely opposite to what God calls him to do. He kills his brother. So the way of Cain is rejecting God's way of salvation. Now that would be somewhat relatable to what's happening. That what, This reminder would be important, right? 
Because certain men had crept into the church unawares, had turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. They are attacking the doctrine of God's grace. So this would be a very possibly good reminder. Let's look at some other commentaries and see if they go the same direction or offer something different. All right? Are you ready? Here we go. Because there's a lot of them. Here here we go. Let me jump down. All right. In the way of Cain, the first great criminal is how they describe Cain. The first to outrage the laws of nature. Explanations to the effect that these uh, libertines followed Cain by murdering men's souls by their corrupt doctrine or by persecuting believers and other suggestions still more curious are needlessly far-fetched. So, that, that, that don't really explain it, but this is what they're saying. What did Cain do? Kill his brother. These men who've come into the church... They've followed in the way of Cain because they are killing the believers with their false doctrine. So they're saying the way of Cain is the way of murder, and these people are following that way by murdering people with their false doctrine. So they just focus on what? The murder. All right? They say any other explanation is far-fetched, is what they say. All right? Uh, So... That, do what? <clears throat> yeah, hey, every other view is wrong. Our view is right. And that, that, that's the way we always do things, right? Our way is right. Every way is wrong. Okay, so that's, so we got two different views, right? So what's view number one? Basically, religion without faith. He was rejecting God's way of salvation, establishing his own. What's the second way? It's a way of murder and The the application is not physical murder. The application is they're murdering people through their false doctrine. All right? Okay? That's, and that's pretty much all they offer. They don't really do much else with it. All right? Let's go with, uh, here we go. For they have gone in the way of Cain. Here's commentary number three. That is, they invinced disobedience and rebellion as he did. They have shown that they are proud, corrupt, and wicked. So basically, it's just disobedience and rebellion. So the way of Cain is disobedience and rebellion. They don't even mention the murder. (laughs) They just mention the disobedience and rebellion. All right, so what's the first way? Rejecting the, the salvation of God, establishing their own. The second, murder. Third, rebellion. Okay, rebellion and disobedience. The, don't, you, don't you love this? Aren't you glad we have commentaries? All right. Okay, here we go. The next one. The way of Cain. Are you ready? Hatred and envy of the godly. Hatred and envy of the godly. Isn't Bible study so simple? Isn't Bible study just so easy? Oh, and if, hey, if you ever think it's easy, just become a pastor and then everyone disagree with you and you'll say, well, I I don't even know why I study, right? Because that's how it always happens. All right, the next one. What do you think the next one is? 
I see here. Uh, the next one, I'll just kind of paraphrase instead of reading all of this. It's hatred for your brother. It's hatred for your brother. So the way of Cain is to hate your brother. I, 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 think, it's a, I think it's a good one, but trust me, in the, in the classroom at Grace University, 99% of the people rejected that one, so... All right. Um, okay, the next one. Uh, this one, Robert wrote, the way of Cain is envy. It's envy. Now, they, they have a long explanation, but basically it's envy. All right. So what do we got so far? Let's go through all of them. Number one, rejecting God's way of salvation. That one, that, that one is kind of eloquent because it, it does what? Connects the word way. Right, so hey, hey, it's gotta work, right? Okay, second. Okay, murder, and you murder people through false doctrine. Third, disobedience and envy, or what? Just disobedience? Oh, rebellion. Disobedience and rebellion. Next. Hatred and envy of the godly. Next. Hatred of your brother, and then envy. Now I got more. I got. I could go all day if you want. Now, do you realize how utterly frustrating that is? Because why is this so frustrating? How in the world am I supposed to interpret Jude if nobody can agree on what the way of Cain is? If nobody can agree, it's impossible. Oh, it drives me crazy. Don't you wish it was just simple? See, this is where you, like, I want to I call Jude up. Like, I want to call him, hey, Jude, uh, you know, could you uh, offer up maybe an, uh, an, a revised edition? Because we need you to explain each one of these because it's 2022 and everyone is a theologian and everyone's a Bible scholar. They may not study the Bible all week, but they all, they all know. It, I, so what do you think? What should we do? What are our options here? Okay, we could go with one. And then as soon as I go with one, someone in this room is going to disagree with me. So that's just useless for, for my own vantage point. I don't gain anything from that one, right? right? If I go with all, still someone's going to disagree with me and say, no, it's only one. So I still don't win, all right? Now what's the third option? One, all. We, we got one, all. I guess we can go some, okay? And then you can say, no, it's these two, okay? What's well, a fourth option? That's a good, that's, that's hilarious, but it's true. What's the last option? We shrug our shoulders and move on. But the, the, next, the problem's going to happen right with the next one. And it's going to have, well, at least the next two are a little bit more specific. Jude does give us a little bit more here for the next two, all right? I think we, we can kind of figure out the next two, right? Greed and rebellion, the next two are kind of clearly articulated. But he doesn't, he feels like everyone just knows. Everyone just knows. I think, I think there's a possibility. I think, though, for interpretive purposes, I'll just make an argument, that clearly 
the way the text is written. Read verse 11 again. Well, went to them. Okay, now who's the they? The man who crept in. So he wants to apply this specifically to the men who have crept in, right? He wants to remind you about the way of Cain so that you can identify the way. So there's a reminder and a description all happening at the same time in this verse, right? He puts these two together, all right? But what we have to, so clearly this applies to them. I, now all we know about the man who crept in is what? what? What's all that we know about the man who've crept in to the church? All we know about them is found in which verse? Four, right? Four or five? Okay, four, okay. What are all the descriptions of them? They crept in unawares. Okay. Ungodly. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. And denying the Lord. All right, now, let's connect that to Cain. I think in some ways he crept in unawares on his brother. Brother probably had no clue what was going on. No clue what was going on. They were just walking together and all of a sudden he gets stabbed and cut. I mean, he would have been killed with a knife. That would have been the way to do so, right? He probably would have had his throat cut. Probably he may even come up from behind him. So we probably would have had no clue. So in that sense, there's a similarity. Okay. What's the second descriptor? Condemned from of old, that would not apply in this particular case. Ungodly. Well, clearly he's ungodly, right? Because he's rejecting God's way for his way. Right? That's ungodliness, right? Ungodliness is when you're clearly rejecting God's way. Next. Yeah, that, he's, he's at least attacking a concept that God has provided and then denying the Lord, where you kind of deny the Lord when you just completely rebel against him. So there is some similarities in all of it. I will argue, though, that I think in a roundabout way, the way, I'm going to say this, the way of Cain, this is the way we're going to describe it. We can group these all together, but this is the way that makes sense to me. The way of Cain is the way of man as opposed to the way of God. No matter what it relates to, right? The way of Cain is an individual saying, I will have my way, not your way. No matter how we, no matter if we were directed specifically to sacrifice, specifically to salvation, it, if, whatever, whatever God calls, called him to do, he went his own way. We can all relate to that, right? In other words, we can get so caught up in trying to figure out exactly what the way is, but we can all know that, look, we can either do things our way or we can do things God's way. And guess what? That is the battle everyone has to fight with every single day. And the people that had crept into the church are trying to establish what? Their own way, not God's way. And every church and every Christian, that is the battle. There's always people coming into the church to establish their own way. Their own way. Okay? I've talked about this over and over in podcasts. That, you know, I think one of the greatest threats to Christianity right now is Christian nationalism. It's all over the place. It's everywhere. It's infiltrated the church. I don't know how to get, how to get it out. But it's us trying to establish our own way. 
Other people say other things are the threat. Whatever the threat is, it's always, look, the threat to the church is always the same. Here's God's way, God's doctrine, God's word, and we come along and establish our way. But what do we always do when we try to establish our way? Claim that it's God's way. Those people who crept into the church unawares, do you think they were claiming, oh, I, hey, hey, ooh, we don't, we reject everything. No, they claimed to be doing, the, they would have been claiming to do the right thing. The Pharisees were claiming to do the right thing. We, the false doctrine always claims to be the true doctrine. We always claim our way is the right way. So I think that that is the way of Cain, is simply the establishment of our... He's reminding them that there was Cain who tried to establish his way versus their way, and they need to be aware that people had come into the church to establish their way. And what are they to do with those people who have tried to establish their own way? To contend with them. To contend with them. And in a roundabout way, what's interesting that that Cain is mentioned first? God contended with Cain. Did he not? Hey, sin is, is, is right at the door. He's, he's creeping to, 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 to basically control you, to dominate you. It's right there. All you got to do is the right thing. And then he, it seems he left the presence of God and like, hey, hey, Abel, come on, let's go take a walk. Come on. And he would be like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with my brother. And then next thing you know, he's dead which is just a messed up story, messed up story. But, and you know what, what's the problem? What, what bothers you most about the story of Cain and Abel? Um, philosophically, what, what should be like the part of the story that should just like, if you were in a philosophy class, everybody would laugh you out. <laughs> I mean, God didn't have the ability to stop the murder. I mean, he's literally right there with them. He's talking to them. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, hey, where's, he already knows where his brother is. So the whole story is like, we're right there, once again, demonstrating God's sovereignty and allowing it to take place. And it's like, why would you allow it to take? He knew what was going to happen. When he confronted Cain, he knew where it was going. Like, what? Oh, that, 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 that just leaves you like, what? But it also demonstrates that even if God was to, th- this is so important, that even if God was to show up in your bedroom at midnight and say, don't do something, you would still, your, the human depravity would still do it even if God spoke to you directly. That's even more bizarre to the story. People say, well, if God, if, if God told me not to do something, if God showed up and slapped you in the face four times, your depravity is so great that you would still walk out and kill your brother. That's, in, that's, that's insane to me. All right? So what's the way of Cain and, our, and the way I can describe it? Yeah. Establishing our way as opposed to God's way. Following our way as opposed to God's way. All right? And then we just will mention it because we're out of time. What's the next one? The error of Balaam. All right. We'll have to look at all the, because all the translations handle this one differently. But they, but this one is a little bit easier because they give this one away. If you go back to the actual story of Balaam, you may be going, I don't know if I see this. Like there's times in the story of Balaam, you almost feel like he's the good guy. And then there's times in the story of Balaam, you're like, you're messed up. It, it's really, a, but 
yeah, I can't go preach that whole thing again. That's why we did the podcast already in advance to this. All right, so, all right, we'll stop right there. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And everyone in this room has probably been guilty of going in the way of Cain, trying to establish our way as opposed to submitting to yours. Forgive us for that, convict us for that, and uh, help us be willing to try to contend not only with ourselves when we do that, but for, uh, with others as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...